John chapter 14 is where we're at. I mentioned earlier, we've been working through this now. We're about 70% through the book of John. And I want us to read verses 6 through 15 together. If you have a physical copy of the Word of God, you know, leather-bound, fantastic. If you have it on your phone or your iPad, that's great too. If you don't have either of those, then there is an, an insert in your bulletin that has some notes and some scriptures and some things that you can follow along with. But John 14, let's look at verse number 6. We hit this verse last week, but I want to hit it again because it makes sense in the context of what Jesus is saying. And we'll read down through verse 15. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Now that's important when he says from henceforth. That's, that's such a hinge of this whole phrase. He's been telling the guys about his death. Judas has just gone out into the night. These are my final words with you. I want to prepare you. I'm going away, guys. I'm going to die. I'm going, I'm going to heaven to be with the Father. So when he says from henceforth, that means because of my death from now on, this is a game changer. Something's going to happen here. And he says that game changer is you can know the Father. You can have relationship with him. And he says you can see him which is not, is not a physical sight. Uh, the, they use see in two ways. We use it in two ways as well. That you could say, I see you, but you can also say, oh, I see. Right, when he says see, it's actually a different word here that means, oh, I see. It means you'll understand the Father. It will click, it will dawn on you, you will know the Father. So he's offering them something unreal here. Then in verse number eight, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. John 14 is a, is a marvelous passage of Scripture, as is all Scripture. But this chapter in particular, there's, there's so many familiar phrases. There's so many things that burst off the page. And Jesus has given his disciples in this chapter a number of gifts, knowing that he was going to depart, knowing that it was going to be very difficult for them to stand and to live for him in this present world. He offers them at the onset of the chapter what we looked at. He starts with hope. He says, let not your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. I'll come again and receive you. He offers them hope. He's going to end the chapter after telling them that the Holy Spirit would come with peace. He says, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. I'm giving you something different. My peace, I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to give you peace for the present. I'm going to give you hope for the future. Those are awesome. But in many ways, what Jesus offers us here is maybe the greatest of all. What does Jesus offer us here in these verses? He offers us really two things. Personal knowing and powerful praying. Those are the two things. Personally, you can know God, and powerfully, you can pray to God. I want to take those in turn. I want to start with personally knowing. Philip asked for something in verse 8. 
Philip says, Jesus, show us the Father. It'll be enough for us. Jesus, would you give us a vision? Would you give us an actual sight of God? Would you peel back the heavens? And would you allow us just to see God in his glory? That would suffice us. That would be sufficient. And Jesus is irritated at Philip for that question. And he says, Philip, I've been so long with you. You still don't know me? You still don't know God? Teaching us that even Philip, who would be a pillar of the church, Philip, who had been studying Jesus' words, had been doing ministry, feeding the poor, telling people about Jesus, had been going through this. It, it teaches us it's possible to be around church, to be around Jesus, to hear his word, to study his word, to work on his behalf and to minister, but to not know God. And Jesus says, Philip, this is what it's all about. It's about knowing the Father. What he said to Philip here in this is, is honestly something that Jesus tells us will happen uh, on that day, that many on that day will say unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, cast out many devils, done many wonderful works? And the word should scare us. I'll say unto them, depart from me. I never knew you. What is Jesus saying? He's, he's, he's elevating this to such a primary focal point that this is all about personally knowing God. I am going to give this to you. It is very possible to be a theologian. It's very possible for you to do a lot of good and to minister and to, and to know certain core doctrines and to go to church and to go to Awana and to follow a moral code, but not know God at all. And Jesus says, I want to let you know that I'm giving you access and relationship to God. I want you to personally know him, not just about him. And that's the real difference. There's a difference between informational knowing and personally knowing. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and his life and being here for the study of John's gospel and actually knowing Jesus. And Jesus is a bit exasperated at Philip when he asks him, don't you know me? Don't you know God? And he offers him exactly that in verse 7. That's what he said, verse 7. If you know me, you know my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and ye see him, you understand. I am offering you this. One author put it this way, and I think it's a beautiful way to put it. He said that this is the strand that unravels the knot. You ever had a knot, maybe your jewelry's all, all tangled up, or maybe uh, there's actually a rope or something that's, that's knotted together, and, and you pull and you tug and you work and you look and you, you know, work your fingers to the bone and you're trying to do this, and all of a sudden you find the strand, that one that you just pull that way, and all of a sudden the deadlock and, and, the, and the gridlock and, and the, the whole focal point of the problem, that strand just, it just falls open, right? The other said that this is that strand, personally knowing God, a relationship with God, intimacy with the infinite, that Jesus is telling his, his men here that this is possible for you. You'll know me, and as such, you will know the Father. This, this, is, this teaches us so much, just that Christianity is a relationship first. Just that. Christianity at its core is a relationship first. 
This will help you understand why if you, before you came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, or maybe right now, you're searching and you're looking and you're trying to figure out what is this about? What is it? You know what? I want to have a good family, so I'm going to look at what the Bible teaches about family. And I want to know what's right and what's wrong. And I want to teach my kids and I want them to have a sense of morality. So I'm going to try to look at the Bible for that. And you go to the Bible, go to the Bible, but none of it really will actually click. It will never actually really make sense until you pull that strand. Until you understand that you need relationship with God. If Christianity was a philosophy, then you could take your questions to it first. But if it's a relationship, you got to go to the person first. If it's a therapy, you can take your needs to Christianity first. But if it's a relationship, you got to go to the person first. You have to understand that at Christianity at its core, the New Testament will talk to you about a lot of stuff. It, it will talk to you about psychology and society and all kinds of things. But un until you understand that this is relationship with God, this is what it's after for you, then it really just won't make sense. It'll fall a bit flat. Jesus says, I am here to offer knowing God. And I cannot, in my words, emphasize strongly enough how important that is. Jesus will say in just a couple chapters, we'll look at it here in a few weeks in John 17, that this is life eternal. What's life eternal, Jesus? What's eternal life? That they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Not just the point of life, but the definition of life is knowing God. The only way to have eternal life is knowing God. Jeremiah will say in Jeremiah 9, a classic text, that let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. So what do we glory in, Jeremiah? Let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and he knoweth me. What is Jeremiah saying? He's saying, imagine being the smartest person on earth. Imagine every university, every government, every business wants you to work with them and for them because you're the smartest. Imagine being the, the strongest, the best athlete on earth. You are the national treasure. You have more gold medals. Everyone looks at you for, for being that athlete. Imagine being the richest person on earth. You're the sole heir to whatever will make you the richest person nowadays. I don't know, a trillion dollars. Would that feel good? To have the best aptitude? To be the best athlete? to have a trillion dollars at your disposal? Sure it would. But what Jeremiah says is that pales in comparison to knowing God. Amen. That doesn't hold a candle to what it means to understand and to know God. And ask anyone who's tried their hand at both these. Go talk to someone that I worked my fingers to the bone, business, 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 money, 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 and then I met God and had a relationship with Jesus and asked them which one was better. They'll tell you Jeremiah was right. Relationship with God was better. Ask someone who gave their life to the, to the athletic accomplishments, who, who worked and worked and practiced and worked out and sweat and the grind and just all that they could do so they could get that Division I scholarship, so then they could get that professional uh, uh, contract. Ask someone who's done that, who also knows God, which one's better. They'll tell you without fail, Jeremiah's right. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what the world can offer to you. There's no substitute for knowing God. And Jesus is saying, guys, I'm leaving, but I'm telling you, my death is going to do something for you. I'm going to give you access to God. I'm going to give you relationship with God. I, I can't stress that enough. I, I couldn't overblow that. I couldn't outdo it. 
But Jesus says there's a requirement for this. This isn't just, okay, you know, pull the lever, it's done. Here's the requirement that he gives to personally knowing God, a relationship with a person. That's what Christianity is. He says in verse number six, I'm the way. I'm the truth, I'm the life. But he says, no man comes to the Father but by me. You want access to God? You want a relationship with God? You want to know God? Only one way. Me. Now, here's where a lot of people who don't know Jesus get offended. Come on, you, that's, how, how could you do, how could you be excluded? You mean to tell me that the, that the good Buddhist, they don't know God? They don't have access to God? You mean to tell me the person who doesn't even really believe in God, but they're a good person? And they, they you know, I mean, they give you the shirt off their back. They, they, would, they would help you. They're a better person than me anyway. I mean, you mean to tell me that good person, that they don't, they don't get access to God? They don't get to know God? Come on, Pastor. That's what Jesus says. And not only does he say it, I'm here to contend it makes sense. If Christianity is primarily a relationship with a person, that makes perfect sense because that's the way it is to know somebody. You cannot find your way into a person's life and into a person's heart any old way you choose. You have to be let in from the inside. You know it's the case. Some of you guys, you've, you've experienced this in dating. You decided one day when the day of epiphany occurred to you, you know, she was there, uh, I don't know, at the stadium cheerleading. She was across the room in the class. She was, you know, maybe grew up with her, whatever. But it clicked and the day of epiphany occurred that I, man, there's something special about her. I want to win her. I want to woo her. I want to take her away from every other man on the planet, including her own father. I want her for myself, right? So you set out to deceive and cannot, I'm just kidding, kind of. Uh, you set out to win her. Marriage took a little bit of deception to get there. Let's be honest, guys. You set out to win her heart. So how do you do it? Let's, let's say, let's say I want to do this and I, I want to win Maggie. And let's say for sake of illustration, not true, but let's say it was, that was a great athlete. So I go up to Maggie. You know what, Maggie? Man, you should get to know me. I mean, I, I love sports. You like sports too? And she said, nope. I don't know the difference between a touchdown and a hole-in-one. I don't care about sports at all. Now you, but she tells me, you know what? I like photography. Now you tell me what, what approach will work better. Approach one, you know what? You love sports. You just don't even know it, okay? So I'm gonna invite you. First date will be my game. I'll play your chill for me. It'll be great. Afterwards, we'll sit down. I'll give you a book on football rules. I mean, it'll be fantastic. I'll send you some text with some sports center clips and, and you'll love it. Trust me, it'll be, it'll be awesome. Approach one or approach two. I'll start to YouTube, uh, aperture, lenses, photography. We go out, maybe we want to, you know, have some photography together on our first day. So we're going to go, you know, shoot some birds or something. Not like, psh, not bang, bang, but, it, psh, you know, shoot some birds. John James Audubon, okay? We're, we're going to, you don't know who that is. Uh, we're going we're gonna to get pictures. Which approach would work better? For sure, approach two, Right? I can't just get my way into her heart any old way I choose. I, I can't win that relationship and, and get access to her just because I felt like it. No, this is the way. You will like sports and, and you are going to let me into your life. No, you got to be let in from the inside, right? 
Parents, haven't you discovered this with your teens? Parents of teens, you've been there. You, you want to talk to them. You want them to see. You want them to understand you're good-hearted. You have a heart of love, and, and, and you want access, but they're not letting you in. And no matter what you try, no, no matter what you say, they're shut down, locked down. I'm not letting you in. And you, you try everything. You pray, whatever it is, and it just seems like I can't break through to them during that season of life, whatever it was. Why? Because they have to let you in, Right? Jesus says, I'm here to offer you, not, not a moral code. I'm not here to offer you just, you know, do this or do that or anyway. I'm here to offer you relationship with the Father. And he says, there's only one way in. I'm, now, this is such a, a, a clear claim to deity. He's so one with the Father. He says, I'm going to let you in to, from the inside. I'm the only way. And if you think that's exclusive, then you think that you are exclusive. Because that's the way you work. You don't let people into relationship just any old way you want. You have a set of criteria. And here's the criteria. Jesus says the requirement is me. You don't get in another way. You want relationship with God? You, you want access to him? You don't find it through your own efforts. You don't find it through your good and your bad. You don't find it through uh, Buddha or, or Muhammad. There's no other way. And because he's a person. Now, God's not a human, but God's a person. He has personhood. Because God's a person, that is absolutely logical. It makes complete sense. And Jesus says, guys, you can know God. So here's, here's my question. We'll move on to point two. Do you know God would be my first question. If not, today I would invite you to know God through Jesus. If you do know God, do you know him as you should? Are there things in your way that you need to get rid of that are crowding out your relationship with him? Set them to the side and pursue that at all costs because Jeremiah will tell you the money, the fame, the, the strength, whatever it is that you're working towards, it does not amount to knowing God. It's the best. Second thing Jesus says is there's powerful praying. You can personally know and you can powerfully pray. Now, he, he really runs by this so fast. It's just two verses. He mentions prayer like in passing. It's not lengthy, but everything you need to know about prayer is here in a seedling form. Here's what Jesus says. Guys, I'm leaving. Adios. I'm going to get to heaven. And when I get to heaven, you're going to do some awesome stuff. As a matter of fact, you're going to be able to do greater things than even I have done. Now, that's a, that's a bold statement. But he says, I, the king, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to assume my throne. And there, I'm going to send you my spirit, is what he's going to say in the next few verses that we'll hit next time. But because of this, you're going to do great things. Your prayers are going to be the way that I release my kingdom power into this earth. I want to, through your prayers, release my kingdom power, and there will be great and awesome things. Now, now that's strong language, and that's not unique to this text. All through the Bible, you find things like this, where James says that God will give you wisdom, and he won't just give you wisdom. He'll give you wisdom liberally. You'll find in Ephesians 3 that we're told that, that God will give, I mean, above what we could ask or even think, that he'll just blow our minds and, and what he can do. James 4, you have not because you ask not. So language like this is all through the, all through the Bible. Here's, here's my question, okay? I have a couple. First of all, let's read this together. Verse number 12. I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. 
sweet. And whatsoever he shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Question number one. Does verse 15 start with psych? No. There's, there's no LOL. There's no JK. There's no, it's, it, no. Was Jesus pulling a prank, right? Did he just punk his disciples? No. He's, he's actually legitimately seriously telling them this. This is the truth, okay? He ain't lying. This is the truth. So the, the question that like my mind immediately runs to is why in the world does not my prayer life not look like that? Anyone else feel that? Like that is, that's legitimate. That's honest. That's straight up. But yet I at least feel I'm a mile from that. That, that doesn't, I mean, it, it, it's appealing to me, but it doesn't seem to be something that, that is reality in my life. Why? I, I know it's not because he lied to me. I know, I know it's not because that's a joke. Why is it that prayer doesn't seem to be as powerful as this text would make it to be in my life? And I'm not minimizing prayer because prayer, I know is powerful. It says that. I've seen answers to prayer. I've seen God do amazing things. But, but it seems like I'm falling short. Here's what Jesus is saying, if you get the context, okay? He is absolutely, without hesitation, saying that prayer is powerful. And people have tried to kind of skirt around this to say, when he says you'll do greater things, that just means you'll do more things. It'll go on for 2,000 years instead of three years. It means more hogwash. He means greater things. So, if there's that power where he wants to release his kingdom into the earth through my prayers... Why does that seem to fall short sometimes? And here's the reason. Jesus is not, contrary to a lot of popular belief, offering us in this text a magic lamp that I get to rub whenever I want and God the genie comes out and I have to tell him whatsoever things I want. Here's what I want. Here's my wish list. A, B, C, D, one, two, three. I'll have one of those and two of those. And would you do that? Bada bing. It's done. It's not that way. Jesus understands that prayer is so powerful that he is not going to hand it over to us without a safety. He understands that this, this prayer gun is so powerful and there's so much potential that he's not just going to hand it over loaded without a safety. There's, there's actually two safeties that he gives in this text. And that's the reason I think that our prayer lives fall so short sometimes. Now, be, before we get to the safeties, I want to convince you that this is entirely reasonable that he would put a safety on this. For him to just hand you a wish list or him to hand you, ask whatever you want, attach in Jesus' name, amen, it's done, adios, would be absolutely foolish because you would ask for some stupid stuff. And if you, if you don't believe me, just rewind the tape on your life, okay? You as a toddler, what did that consist of? No, you cannot eat that rock. No, you cannot play in the street. No, you, you cannot touch the hot stove. No, you cannot run with the steak knife in your hand, right? Give a toddler three wishes. See what happens. Game over, right? They're dead instantaneously. They'll kill themselves. But you're not a toddler, right? Okay, you're not a toddler. This is a nursery. You grew up, right? You, you were 16. You have to be wise then, didn't you? Then you really knew what you needed. Then you really knew it was good for you, right? Some of you got what you thought was good for you and you're still paying the price for it today. 
And you still live with the consequences and the regret of that today, right? But no, no, I'm not, I'm not 16. Some of you are 16. Most of you not. I'm not 16. I'm an adult now. Okay. <laughs> you knew what career was best for you, didn't you? You knew they were best for you and that marriage that you had, that would make you happy. You knew it would make you happy, didn't you? Come on. Our life is a long series of looking back and realizing over and over again as we matured a little bit, oh man, I was real mature and real stupid then. I don't, whoop, I thought I was mature then, but now I look back on that and I was real mature and stupid now, right? So for Jesus just to hand you Aladdin's lamp to say, wish whatever you want, attach my name, it'll be done, would be utterly destructive. It's too powerful for that. Here's the, here are the hitches, here are the safeties that he puts on prayer. Here they are. Here's the requirements. If you want to powerfully pray, I want to powerfully pray. You want that? He offers that. How do you get it? Number one, the glory of God is my aim. Now, if you're like me, you read verse 13. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And your brain went right to whatsoever. Ooh, boy, whatsoever, anything. Man, I can ask anything I want. What's a, that's a great word right there. And you completely skipped over the whole phrase that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you can't do that, okay? You can't just rip the phrase out or the word out and divorce it from the context. You have to look at that, at that phrase. What does that mean that the Father may be glorified in the Son? What he's saying there is that this isn't just whatsoever, okay? Heaven isn't your, your complaint department. It's not a divine order catalog. That's, that's not how this works. This is so the Father must be glorified. Here's the way I would put it. If prayer is an instrument, you have to tune it to the glory of God for it to work properly. That's how it works. You, big things, great things you're going to do. Ask in my name, but this is so the Father may be glorified. Let me see if I can illustrate. I worked through my college years, my bachelor's degree and my master of arts degree. I worked at Sears and I sold appliances and straight commission and it was a great job for me and, and it worked out really well. But about once a week, somebody would walk in and they would tell me that they needed a new washing machine. And as a good, you know, sales associate, I try to do a little bit of discovery. Okay, what did you like about your old machine? What did you not like about your old machine? What's wrong with it? Do you have any space constraints? Blah, 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 blah. And asking about once a week, hey, what's wrong with your old machine or what did you not like? Someone would say to me something like this. You know what? It's a good machine. It washes the clothes well. But sometimes, I promise you, it's like a devil got in that machine. It's like, it is... It is so loud. It is like it is trying to break my house into pieces. And I would ask them, like, is that all the time or just some of the time? No, it's just, it's just some of the time. And I can't take it. It is so loud. Now, the straight commission in me would like to be like, oh, yeah, it's trash. Here's a new washer. Buy this. But I wouldn't. I would be ethical, and I would tell them, you know what? You don't need a new washing machine. Here's how it works. Now, a lot of the newer machines load in the front and they have nothing in the middle. It's just a big drum, okay? But a lot of you still have, or, or you know what I'm talking about, have the machines you open from the top and there's the tower in the middle called the agitator, right? And when you load your clothes in that washing machine on the front end and it starts to wash, if you don't stack those clothes relatively neatly around the center and you put like a bunch to one side and not on the other side, then when it gets to the spin cycle at the very end and it starts to go 500, 600 RPMs, it, things are not centered around the center. And when that happens, that drum starts to just absolutely just 
bang on the side of the washing machine. And then the washing machine starts to bang on the side of the dryer. And then the dryer and the washing machine together start to on the, on the wall or on the floor. And it sounds like your house is going to come down. And I would tell them, you don't need a new washing machine. You need to center things back around the center. You need to reorientate the clothes, open up the lid, spread them out, and then everything will be just fine. Now, I say that for this reason. There are some things that are meant to go around the center, and when they are not centered, they become completely destructive and completely wonky, and it doesn't work properly at all. Prayer is one of those things. What, what Jesus is teaching is that the center of prayer is the glory of God. And if you move off of that center, you will cause a ton of confusion and a ton of chaos, and it will not work properly. Beyond, not just prayer, your life is supposed to be about the glory of God. I mean, that's all through the Bible. I mean, eat, drink, whatsoever you do about the glory of God. And if you think I'm lying and you think I'm just taking a phrase from this and just running with it too far, I challenge you, start in John and just read the rest of the New Testament and look for prayers. Look for the great prayers of the New Testament. Go to Ephesians 1 and read that prayer. Go to Ephesians 3 and read that prayer. Go to Colossians 1. Go to Philippians 1. Read those prayers. You know what you'll find will strike you. They're all about knowing God and they're all about the glory of God. It's what they're about. It's what Jesus is teaching right here. Over and over again, you will see the glory of God pop off of that. Take the Lord's Prayer, okay? Many of you memorized Our Father growing up, and, or you have since then. Look at that prayer. Is there a space to ask for whatsoever things, ask for what you want? Yeah. But at the beginning of the prayer, is all about God, all about his kingdom. And Lord, I want your will to be done before I go to my needs. And after my needs, I'm going to end this with thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Not just partially part-time glory. No, forever yours is the glory. Amen. What is Jesus teaching? Jesus is saying, don't you dare go make your request made known to God without first reorientating your life around his kingdom and around his glory and understanding his will. And after you make those requests, don't you dare just skedaddle out of here without going back to and saying, Lord, this is your glory again. This, this is not unique. This is Jesus saying, you want power, you want a powerful play. You want this to work. You've got to orientate around my glory. You've, you've got to You've got to make that the first and the most important thing, the weightiest thing, the heaviest thing. That has to be your aim. But secondly and lastly, Jesus says that his name should be the claim. Now, I did it to make it rhyme. Hopefully you'll remember that. Glory is the, glory is the aim. The name of Jesus is the claim. Jesus says twice, ask it in my name. Those are the two safeties. Number one, glory of God's got to be the center. Number two, the name of Jesus has got to be what you pray in. So what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? That's an important question. What it means to pray in the name of Jesus is this. You've got to come into prayer saying, I have absolutely no basis for recommendation other than that Jesus died for me. 
I have no reason to be here, and I have no reason to have access or relationship to God. I have no reason in and of myself that, that you know, you owe me one God. I, you, you know, some credit. I did that good thing one time. I, none in myself. It's only because of Jesus and his grace that I can be here. It's only because henceforth, it's only because he died. He went to the cross for me. That's the only reason that I can pray. Jesus just isn't my example. He's my righteousness. I love that we sang that song, Jesus Messiah, that talked about him being our righteousness. To pray in his name is to understand that mentally in your heart, to know that as you're praying. My children have heard mom and dad pray. And I would say the majority of the time I pray, I will attach the phrase in Jesus' name in some form or another. Not always, but most of the time. My children have heard me and my wife pray that way. So they, you know, pray. And they'll say at the end of their prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. They say it a little more mumbled and faster than that. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as fast as they can. My, I promise you, my children have prayed in Jesus' name, amen, a thousand times. They have never one time prayed in Jesus' name. Not once, because they don't understand it. They're just saying words. It's just, a, it's just a tack on the end. Once again, read the prayers of Scripture. Paul never says, in Jesus' name, amen. But Paul prays in Jesus' name. It's not a phrase. It's, it's, it's not just, just a few words that I put on and then it's all good. It's a heartbeat. It's an understanding while I am praying that the only way this is even possible is because of Jesus. It's in his name. I at times will not say amen. I will you know, at times not even say in Jesus' name, amen. But I'll pray in Jesus' name because it's in there. Because I understand while I'm praying what I'm doing. Let me illustrate. In most places, I don't know for sure if it's this way in Harrison Township or if it's in Pittsburgh or whatever. But in most places, there's a steeper punishment for assaulting a police officer than there is for assaulting just your average civilian. Like I can walk up to you and punch you in the face and get one punishment, but walk up to, to a police officer and punch them in the face, I get a different punishment that is steeper and is heavier, okay? Why? B because the police officer, like his face is more valuable? Is it, is it because he's a better person? You know, just because he's a police officer, that means he's good, moral, upright, he's a better person? No. We've understood historically that when that person puts on that uniform and that badge, that they are bearing the name of Harrison Township. They are bearing the name of Pittsburgh Port Authority. That they're bearing the name of those people that they represent. And so it, it's, not, it's, not, it's not that, you know, they're valuable in and of themselves, but the name that they are wearing actually elevates and, and puts them on a higher plane. When you go into prayer, it's not, I'm valuable in and of myself, and I'm awesome, and I prayed a prayer, and I got saved one day, and I, you know, I've been in Awana, and VBS, whatever. I got my Sunday school badges. No. It's to understand that because I bear the name of Jesus, this is offering me something that is not about me at all. It's about him. So you have to pray in Jesus' name. Last thing, and we're laying the plane. I would also say to pray in Jesus' name goes back to the glory. It means that you want what they want. So think of a lawyer going to represent you at some contract negotiation. That lawyer's job is to take your name, to represent your name to the best of his or her ability and not to say this is what I want or this is what I think is fair, but to say this is what my client wants. 
because I'm representing them, right? So when you go into prayer in the name of Jesus, it is to say, I am praying in such a way that I believe this is what Jesus would want. This is not about me or my agenda or whatsoever I ask. Here's my wish list. I get whatever I want, magic genie. No, it's about what he wants. It's about the glory of God. This is why James could tell us very clearly, you pray and, and you don't have. Why? Because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your own lust. It's about you and what you want, not about what God wants. Jesus is teaching us here, here it is, you can know God, you can have, uh, he can do unbelievable things with your life and you can pray to him and have access to him powerfully, but you have to understand the only way to God is through me. And the only way to pray is to understand that the glory of God is, should be at the center and you have to claim the name of Jesus. I told you I was done, I lied. I have one more illustration. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to. I don't have time to illustrate this over and over and over again, but I, honestly, I'm trying to help. This would, this would tell you why some of you, you know, you started your prayer journal or your prayer list, those sorts of things. I'm not against those. But why it's fallen so short and it feels like utter drudgery. And it feels like I'm just, you know, okay, I bow my head and this list and I mean, yeah, someone came true, but can I really credit God with that? I mean, I listed a billion things, like coincidence would have it, that a couple of them would happen. And prayer is just like, ugh. And you don't want to do it. You don't do it. It's dead. It's like non-existent in your life. Because you don't get this. Let's say, I'll give you one prayer illustration. This is the one I was telling you that I lied about. This is it, and then I'm done. Let's say... Let's say you struggle with forgiveness. You can't forgive Bob. You know you need to. You know you should. And you know Jesus would want you to. So I go into prayer. Lord, help me to forget about Bob. I mean, he just, Lord, I'm, I want to express myself. He just, it's so painful and it hurt. And, and there's, there's, there's so much going inside. I just can't let go. Would you help me forget about Bob? I don't want to think about him anymore. And, and, and I, I don't want to let him off the hook. And I'm blah, 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 blah. See how far you get, okay? Spend 20 minutes doing that. And you'll like, you know, 25% forgiven Bob by the time you're done. Instead, go to pray. And just start with the glory of God. And say, Lord, I want to think about how good you are and how big you are and how beautiful you are. How awesome you've been in my life. You've saved me. God, you, you're the best thing on earth. It, it doesn't matter what I have or don't have. I have you. And Lord, I, I want to be used of you. Lord, I want your will to be done in my life. And, and Lord, I'm coming in Jesus' name. I can't. What do I have to offer you? I have nothing but you've forgiven me and cleaned me and it's all through Jesus and all through your grace. And then turn to Bob. What you'll find is that Bob already got taken care of. You'll find that Bob's like already forgiven somehow in that process. You get to Bob and you'll realize I'm coming in Jesus' name and the glory of God and it's, it's, you move past it, it's done. When you pray this way, it will do something in you and to you that will be life-giving, that will be awesome. Now, I must confess, I have yet to arrive on this, and I'm in the same boat as you are. 
I wish I had this all figured out and I wish I did this perfectly all the time, but I am learning and I am learning that our prayer lives need a reformation many times. But they're not reflective of this. They're not reflective of how prayer is in the Bible. But when we understand it, we do it, you understand that Jesus just gifted his disciples unbelievable treasures. You can know God personally. You can pray with God powerfully and he wants, he invites you into it. So take him up on his invitation.